0: Hi folks, this is Christian Haynes, Managing Editor of Gamers with Glasses. This podcast episode features an interview with the development studio Dang, who made the excellent indie shooter Boomerang X. In this interview, I talk with two members of the development team, Ben Calkins and Bones Taylor, about all kinds of things, including the game's genesis from a student project and a game jam, the influence of the cartoon Samurai Jack, what compelled them to make a quote-unquote boomer shooter, and the difficulty of porting the game to the Switch. We hope you enjoy. So thank you, Ben, and thank you, for Bones, for joining us. I think the first thing we'll do is just have you introduce yourselves. Ben, why don't you start off?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Ben. Uh, I was an artist on Boomerang X, um, and I am one of the members
2: of Dang. I'm Bones. I am a programmer on Boomerang X. Um, yeah, I mean, We all wear a lot of hats, but I do mostly programming.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So how did the two of you get your start in game development?
1: Um, well, we all went to the same college. We all went to RPI in upstate New York, and we graduated and um, made this company right away. That—that's This is the start. Like, this is how we are getting our start is doing this, basically. This is our yeah. first game.
2: This is our first release game. Yeah. I mean, we all went to school together. So we all went to classes together. We all worked together in school. And then we basically founded it out of school. And um, we're we're still making games. Um, it took us a while to eventually get on Birmingham X, which I'm sure we'll talk about as the interview goes through. But um, yeah, we are this is this is our first game that we've like released, released on Steam and everything. And
0: yeah. Yeah. So First, I'll just say, what a great start. Uh, well, like, you. yeah, I mean, you guys hit it out of the park, basically, with the first, oh, it. first swing. It's nice to say that. Thank
1: that's, you. Thank you so much.
0: No, it, it's one of those things where I think it's, like, had one of those kind of, like, low-key, and I'm sure you wish you were maybe a little less low-key, but, like, getting that buzz sort of building, and everybody that's had a chance to play it is like, whoa why aren't other people talking about this game more?
1: Yeah, why aren't they? Come on, people. Yeah, come on. We'll <laughs> work on that, right? That's... It's awesome.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so this wasn't then a student project that then got expanded, uh, so you didn't start this uh, during school and then expand it, or you did?
1: We kind of did. Well, I mean, originally it was like it was me and one other person who's not with us right now, who was me and Sam, did it for a game jam. Um, the summer before our senior year, you know, i um, Game Makers Toolkit. Yeah. It's a, the YouTube channel. He hosted his first game jam. That's and we participated in it. The theme was dual purpose design and the game we came up with was like, Oh, what if it's a boomerang and you push one button and you go back to it instead of it just going back to you, which is where the whole flight mechanic comes from. And then we sort of figured out that the best way to dress that up would be as an arena shooter The way to get some quick mileage out of it in a game jam would be just put in an arena and throw some enemies in there. And that was kind of the DNA of what it is now, like that we've almost everything in there got preserved.
0: Oh, that's wonderful to hear that it started as a game jam. Uh, in our interviews we've had a few uh other developers that we've talked to where it was like a game uh jam especially for some reason game jams in uh like Sweden and Denmark uh, maybe just some of the folks we interviewed you know and then all of a sudden it becomes a seed of a project and so hearing yeah. that that was that that one mechanic and then expanding it out to the level design uh is really interesting um and so so you have this mechanic you have a game in mind what's next when you get out of school and start working on you know setting up the studio were there any big obstacles that you had to jump over was there anything unexpected did it all just fall into place just right
1: well we didn't actually start working on boomerang x we first were working on either which i do over which trying to you Interesting. asked about um it was this that was another student project it was a, a hacking simulator that again started off with just me and sam
2: and then everyone else sort of right. got rolled into it that one was actually a student project. That right? one was literally was for class. school. Yeah. We actually got a great. Well, y'all, you two actually got a
1: great. Yeah, we got a it. grade for that. We got a good grade for that one. Um, and it turned out to be really good because it got picked up for student award nominations of GDC and E3, which I oh, did not wow. expect would happen at all. And so that sort of made us think that this would be a good project to start with. And for a year, we worked on that. And we shopped it to a bunch of publishers and no one really wanted it. Hmm. And so with that having been the case, we thought, well, let's do something else now. And then we started, we moved on to Boomerang X from there.
0: Would you describe Boomerang X as maybe more manageable? I just, you know, I was looking at the scope of these two games and it seemed like the Boomerang X scope is a little narrower in terms of the gameplay mechanics and the design okay. elements. Oh, Whereas oh. IO interloper seems actually super complex when I was looking at that, even just yeah. the UI design from some of the images.
2: Well, I mean, scope and ability to actually execute on it was a big reason that we chose it. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to choose it and I don't know how, like everyone else does, is, like, I felt that it was a more like marketable game. Like, the, what's cool about IO Interloper is like the aesthetics of it are cool obviously but like there's a lot of like cool moments in the game that's like hard to sell I guess um, on like what really makes IO cool. Um, Boomerang X you can like you can see you find people flying to the air you can see like crazy combos and stuff you can see them killing enemies you can see how fast the action is right it's like it, you instantly understand what the game's about Um, and so it's like a lot easier to, I, I, I hate to say market, but yes, it's a lot easier to, to market. I concur. (laughs) No, no,
0: the the player engagement there is more obvious in a way, right? Like you can see how the games could perform on Twitch, right? Like you can see the speed run quality for it. You can see the humor even potentially just like flinging yourself around, some of these levels, especially when you get gigantic creatures that you have to kind of break down in moments, which was one of my favorite moments in that game, is just when you get that enca- encounter with that giant giraffe-like creature. Yeah. Yes. And all of a sudden, I'm sw- like just flinging myself around the forest, like stopping in midair and pelting this giraffe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, so I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um,
2: that was the... I mean, that was the... The giraffe was like the first new enemy we made
1: i think so first one that wasn't in the game jam the game jam uh, i mean because every enemy that was in the game jam the design of them was all carried over that was like the basic stuff like there was a spider there was the squid thing there was the thing that made more squids and then there was the laser there was the laser and there was a laser too and then the giraffe was like yeah let's make a giraffe
2: yeah big, big cool giraffe big cool giraffe was the first like new enemy we made and also so it was pretty early on. We knew, we knew how cool it was pretty early yeah. on. Um, and yeah, the Yornwood, which is like the fourth or fifth level in the actual sequence was the second level we made. Um, Interesting, or maybe the first, I don't, <laughs> don't remember. Yeah. I remember, I remember having a friend play it and it was just, the the Excel Tyrant Room, which we call the Orchard, and the Yornwood, and those were the only two levels in it um, when I was having a friend of mine play it. Uh, so those are very early, and then we added in a lot of other stuff in between. Um, yeah. It's the Red Room and the Orange Room. The Red Room and <laughs> yeah. the
1: Tree Room. The game was actually going to be, for those who were like, the game is too short, it was going to be even shorter. Okay. Originally, it was going to be one arena, and then we decided it would, it would be like there would be like one arena that was procedurally generated, and you do different stuff in it every time. And then I remember I went on vacation and I came back, and you and Sam were like, "We can't do that. Let's do the let's do it in sequence." And so then we were like, "It's going to be five arenas, but if you die, you have to start from the very beginning every time." And we realized that sucks and is really annoying. And so then we were like, five arenas, and you have life. Like you can you have. There was originally not going to be that shield system we have. It was going to be one hit and you're done." So we gave mm-hmm. you that, and we put checkpoints at the start of each level. And then, like, I don't know, maybe a year into it, we were like, actually, now it is it is too short. And so we put a level between all the existing levels and beefed up the tutorial, and we had a final boss stage. Yeah. And well, that was an extra, that was like, we when we decided that we were basically adding another year onto the development of it. Yeah
2: that's a tough choice yeah yeah i mean we had a bunch of really cool abilities um the problem was is that no one knew how to use them because i mean they weren't poorly they were they weren't really tutorialized yet but we knew we had to fix that problem anyway but people just didn't have enough time to get used to them which was a lot of the reason we wanted to like double leveling is so a bunch of the like Levels that we added were designed to give you an opportunity or a necessity almost to use the new power up that you just got. Um, And so like the grudge pit, you kind of need the time slow ability, the the flux ability to kill the lumberers with the shields on their back. Because you have to fly up in the air and you have to get behind them in this tiny room. And so you kind of need flux to kill them um and the wheels in the farm are pretty tough to hit with your boomerang because they move so fast um and so you know the shotgun really helps with them and and the aqueducts the teleporter enemies that teleport when you try to throw at them or get too close you the sniper really helps or the the needle ability really helps to kill them and so that's like you know that's that's why the ordering isn't the way it is You know, those levels are supposed to make you use your new power or reward you from using your new power or show you just how powerful it is um, so that you want to use it. Um, The whole course of the original game uh, or the base game is teaching you how to, like, play the game and then we finally kind of drop you in in the resonance engine, the last level with all of your abilities, all your powers. And it gets pretty hard. We have people are like, wow, the game gets really hard at the resonance engine. And they're like, yeah, because we have nothing to teach you anymore. So you, you kind of have to do it all yourself.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I feel like part of what you've described there is a kind of like hybrid between An older arcade model harking back to like really you know asteroids and galaga and whatnot um where it is really like keep the levels short but make it more about increasing skill and increasing your ability to get through a level with more control or faster Uh, but then on the other hand you have more abilities attached to the player than a lot of those classic arcade games. So you've got to stretch it out a little bit to give them that runway to work on those abilities and to sort of finesse and uh, fine tune them to the spaces they're inhabiting. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. And, I, and you know, as I was playing the game, I was like, okay, this is, this is an arcade game. That's why this game is short. This is an arcade game. I'm supposed to play this multiple times and learn different ways to get through it and learn how to fling myself around it. And I mean that in the best way, right? Like that kind of... Yeah skill mastery that uh, comes with a game where you're not just wandering over a huge swath. It's like the inverse of like the Ubisoft open world model or something. Um,
1: Well, it's definitely the inverse in that
2: it's a straight line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was the I was a huge pusher on doing New Game Plus as so, you know, we knew the game was short. And we we're like, what are we gonna do to give people more stuff? And the two ideas were a new game plus, where we like basically remaster all the levels in a way, like right, okay, all the levels are built, and the enemies in them are designed with this is your first time seeing all of these enemies, and you know you're not very good in a lot of at a lot of the time, right? Like you have a lot to learn still, and so a lot of levels are like when you play them again are kind of easy. And so new game plus is like you're designed, you're supposed to be a master. You've already beaten the game once. So we can make these levels as hard as we think that they should be. Um, and the other idea was in this wave mode, which at the time, we just went with new game. plus. And, you know, I was a big proponent of new game plus, but I guess now we're doing both because in wave mode is what we're working on now. Um, I kind of am glad that we have done it this way because the this wave mode that we're creating now, we would not have made it as cool as it's going to be, mm-hmm. uh, if we made it with the release, but it probably would have done, people would have enjoyed in this mode more than the new game. Plus,
0: um, is that going to come out as DLC? Is that going to be just a patch or an update?
2: Yeah. Just going to be an update. It's not going to be DLC. Yeah. Free, cool. free update.
0: Oh, good. Uh, I love having something to look forward to. So that's even better. Uh, so there is a story in this game, kind of, right? Like there is (laughs) the liniments of a story there, but I, I wondered, so you feel the presence of a story in the strangeness of the environment in the same way, uh, that if you're like looking through a really interesting catalog of like architectural photographs, you could construct a story, uh, or, you know, you're reading like horror where it takes place in a building that's been abandoned. You could try to make out what has happened there, but there's not a ton of dialogue. There's that one kind of caterpillar character who you occasionally encounter who is great and funny. Uh, But I'm wondering, did you guys script a story in advance? Did it kind of come out as you iterated on the game? Uh, Do you think of it as a narrative game or is it more those kind of hints, I guess?
1: I think there was a lot of back and forth between like me and Perrin, who did all the writing and wrote that millipede character Tepin's dialogue about Well, we were trying to basically graft some kind of narrative onto what we had already been working on because by then we had sort of figured out what the levels were going to look like just because we thought like, oh, this is what's going to be cool is to fight these different types of biomes and with these different sort of physical elements as parts of your, um, I guess, um, the playground that you're going to be in. And so it was a lot of like, how are we going to theme it? And what is some sort of narrative that we can come up with? And then what are some details that we can include in the environments that aren't too hard to make that will um, imply this narrative. But it was always the case that we were, we were talking about like, Oh, what is it? Wh- what do we know to do that is going to create that feeling in people where they can feel like there's a narrative, but they're not quite sure what it is. Cause that was the goal is to create that feeling and people not be explicit about it. Like, Oh to make it look like we knew what we were doing and we knew like we're trying to make this super put together narrative that you will find indecipherable because we made it so opaque. But even to us, it's a little opaque. I mean, Perrin, I know who again was, did all the writing has like a very detailed version of the narrative work down their head and how it all fits together. So there is a, some kind of correct version, I guess, but no, the, the priority was definitely to make it sort of vague and opaque and
2: not a distraction. Well, yeah, not a distraction is definitely like that was a key in getting all of this together, right? Is we didn't want people who didn't care about this stuff to be bogged down by it. um, Because the, you know, the core of the game is the mechanics and the feel of it, like playing and flying and using all of your abilities together feels really cool. We really wanted to capture that. And that's the focus. Um, but, and so the players who didn't really care about like what happened here, what's going on, why do these environments look like this? Why am I in a bathhouse? Why are there all these statues around here? And like, why am I in like a mausoleum or a tomb and all that stuff? Like, we didn't really want people to get, like, if you didn't care, then you don't have to bother with it. And that was like, that was like a lot of our design Mm -hmm. philosophy, I guess, is if you don't care about it, then you don't have to deal with it. Um, it's, it's a violence first game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <yes. laughs> violence first. But I mean, even pretty early on, we basically came up with cool level ideas. And then once we have the cool level ideas, we had Janice do concept art for them. And then we had Ben do a lot of modeling. Well, stuff. even the concepts are really
1: like Ooh, man! The concept of planning things out did not come until late in development. Like yeah. the first, those first five levels was just like broke down on a chalkboard, like we're gonna do this, this, and this, and then without a lot of thought about what it's gonna look like, they were made, <laughs> and uh, they by and large look like they look the way they did at first. I mean, some details were etched down more carefully, and some concept art was drawn out for, some, for the sake of specificity. In the way it was conceived, but yeah, like the big tree environment that you fight the giraffe and like that was like I was like just, there needs to be a big tree environment. <laughs>
2: there, yeah, there's got to be a big tree environment. There's someone like okay, it's gonna be this one. But but structurally that's the same. But all of the like details on like all those like walking bridge platforms have like intricate designs on them and stuff. And yeah, that got worked out later. All that got worked out later. Basically, we brought. I mean, we had Janice already, but they did a ton of concept art for basically every level. And that's why all of these details, that's where all of the details and like really cool, intricate designs and like wall patterning and all that stuff came basically, I guess, like a year into it. And then yeah. like, okay, now we can make it all look really cool um, after it was mostly functional. Um,
0: would it be accurate to say you guys, you started with a mechanic, expanded that into level architecture and, yeah. you know, into environments. And yeah. then there was a narrative that was both made to be like not distracting in the sense that it might actually be distracting to not have any kind of story. But on the other hand, you also didn't want all of these moments of dialogue and a ton of characters that yeah. would make it so that, you know, you have that moment as a player sometimes where you're like, I just want to get back to throwing my boomerang or shooting <laughs> my gun. <laughs> uh oh. and so keep the player always moving.
1: Yeah. Also making cutscenes is really hard. You only have two and they took a long both they were hard to make just those just those two cutscenes at the beginning and the end. Um, you know, you had some people who are sort of bemoan the fact that there isn't much of a narrative, and I understand that. Like I like a good solid narrative based adventure, but then a lot of people really don't seem to care at all. <laughs> and that's they just don't
2: even notice that's great i mean we had a lot of really cool ideas for levels and i think the story was i think in both parts the story was written around the level ideas we had and also inspired some other level ideas so i can't really remember which came first
0: oh that's interesting
2: For some of the levels the the design or the like inspiration for the story, but definitely like we have, we called the areas in between arenas rest stumps because we're like, Hey, come look at this pretty beautiful little area that you don't have to fight anything in and you can just kind of relax. And, you know, we're trying to not make you feel like you never have a break. Um, so the rest stops are very much there to give you a break and eventually that's where like Tepin shows up to talk to you, um, in a lot of places. Um, yeah.
0: So, the, you know, you used the word bones a little bit earlier about the feel of the game. And I'm wondering if there was anything that all of you sort of landed on that felt this is what it Feels like to play this game, like a game mechanic or an element of how controls were implemented, something that maybe you wouldn't notice as a player, or maybe you would notice as a player that you felt like really intentional. This is the feel of our game.
1: Oh no, totally! Like it didn't come out of come out of our mind. Like the first iteration didn't feel as good as the one that's out. Like I remember, I uh, like the first song we started working on. I I don't know. I like went away on a trip and I came back and a bunch had been done and I played it and I was like. All like there's so many little details here. I, I had didn't I like I had done no work at that point, so I was just being a little baby. But I was like, nothing about this feels right. Like the speed that you throw this thing at doesn't feel right. The rate it charges up, the how many enemies there are, the way they're how fast they are, how much they cluster. Like all those little tiny things that you wouldn't think about. You'd be like, oh well, if I made this point two faster. That doesn't really make a big difference, but every single number was thought through so carefully to make you feel yeah. like a fucking badass and make <laughs> it very smooth.
2: It uh, the the more I have like I mean we're we're basically at the end of our of our cycle on on the X right. I mean we still have work to do for the endless wave mode. It'll be coming out very soon. Yeah, very soon. Um, but the like I just think about just like thousands and thousands of like micro decisions, like tweaking numbers, like, you know, well, all those were carefully, the, the art of game design is like, no one is supposed to notice, right? Like when, when game design is done well, you don't notice. And when game design is done wrong, it's really obvious. Um, so like my example of this, And I remember changing this pretty early on, like I was like, Hey, Sam, we should, I think change the way that like this works. So throwing your boomerang, you hold or charging your boomerang, you hold down the mouse and then you throw it. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to start holding down my mouse before I had grabbed my boomerang. And so we changed the inputs from starting when you, so pushing your mouse button down to, as long as it's held, it would start charging the boomerang again, right? So before it was, you'd have to catch it and then you'd have to start clicking again and you couldn't just hold it and wait for it to automatically start charging again. And like, I made that little change and once that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, this feels so much better. Like there was this sticking point that I was having in playing and changing just like, that it starts charging again once you catch it if you're still holding your mouse down, made a huge difference in how I felt in the game. And basically, we made like thousands of those decisions over the course of two years. And that's the way. That's the reason that it feels the way it does. Um, I mean, some were major. Like nothing's taken for granted. Like
1: adding the ability to slow down time. That was a decision. We originally that thought a that would decision. be a, like a power up, like any of the other power ups where you. Need- it would have a cooldown, or you'd, you'd unlock mm. it much later. And then it, we sort of realized this is actually kind of necessary for aerial combat, so it became yeah. a
2: more fundamental tool. After. All of our aim at that point, because none of us were real big first-person shooter players, all of our aims were terrible. We couldn't hit anything in the air, and we were like, "We need like we need something that lets us kill enemies in the air." And so, like, we came up with time slow, and it was originally going to be like just a core ability in the game. Like it was just gonna be one of the controls. It wasn't even gonna be an upgrade. Um, But we realized that people just need more time to get used to flying around before we give them this time slow ability. And to be fair, you only have to do one level after the tutorial before we give it to you. But like, I don't know, we we still give it to you for most of the game, but that like, the grudge pit is when we, you can actually use it now. I don't, I don't remember where I was going with this.
0: I don't I don't it offers that sense of like incremental upgrades. It also offers that sense yeah. that there is kind of development, right? There would be, yes. You'd have a very different rhythm in the game, a very different kind of pacing if you had all the abilities at once. So the fact yeah. that you hit these kind of ritualistic yeah. spots where you get the new ability gives that sense of growth both for the player and for the character the player is playing as.
2: Yeah. It was overwhelming for new players to get all these controls. And so we had to like in the tutorial, we we have to tell you how to do like how to throw the boomerang further, how to recall the boomerang. Like, oh, you need to recall this boomerang. Like we know you know how to recall a boomerang, but you're going to need to do this if you want to be good at our game, right? Like so we, we have a door that has three gems on it and the gems recharge after a certain amount of time. And so you have to break a gem, call it back, break a gem, call it back, break a gem, call it back. So we force you to use it and then immediately put you in a combat encounter where it's really good to be doing that um, just to try and get people to like start doing it. Like you kind of do have to play the game the, like in a certain way to be good at it. Oh, by the
1: very end, like you, like you have to play the game the way we want it to. Like whenever I read a review, they're always talking about you know, they always talk about it with such novelty the fact that they're flying around in the air, and I'm like, there was no other way you were going to be. That is the game, is you are flying. It's funny because to up, uh, like to me, to all of us, I think the flight mechanic is not just an upgrade; it's like the entire game. But a lot of people sort of uh, they it feels like they look at it as this very novel. Thing and they talk about it almost as if it's surprising how important it is. I'm like, no, that is like, that is the same as like W in a regular first person shooter. Like
2: it is, it is basically the game to me. Anyway. Yeah, it is. And we, that's another thing that like, we don't give it to you immediately anymore because we really spread out our tutorial just to make sure that like, you know, it's complicated <laughs> like all the things you have to do but we don't give you the teleport immediately. You have to know how to recall the boomerang before we let you teleport. And you have to know that the further you throw the boomerang, the further it'll go before we can let you know how to teleport. Um, Because I think the only time that we just give it all to you is in our demo builds that we have given out. So the demo build we made for the Steam demo festival back in February, we gave you everything. We showed you plaques in the starting room so that you could read everything that you needed to know, and then we just hope you can figure it out. But in the full game, we really do break it down and make sure that everyone knows how to do all these things before we we let you fly. And then before we let you slow down time, which is really powerful, you need to be a little more comfortable flying around. I think for
1: me, the reason slowdown comes after you learn how to fly is because I felt like you needed to see why you might want it. You might. I wanted you to perceive yeah. what but the problem is. Like I'm flying around, I'm having a hard time shooting stuff, and so then we give you the time slow, and then you go, "Oh, this will help me do that thing that I felt yeah. as a, a pressure point before."
0: Yeah. If you're like me, you're just this like spastic pinball bouncing all around as yeah. you're throwing it. And then you get to slow down. And you're like, okay, that's that's what I do. Now I know. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Um, A little bit of, a, I guess, a left turn here. How was the process of porting it to switch? Did you do that in-house? Did you subcontract that? Was it a nightmare? <laughs> was it Fluid and yeah,
2: it was a nightmare. Yes, it was a nightmare. <laughs> okay. Devalvo,
1: yeah. Devolver put us in touch with the port house. Um, I mean, like we don't know we don't know crap about porting. So we would would have been totally lost without the port team. But even with the four team, oh
2: boy, was it a lot of work. hyperliminal beams by the way. <laughs> yeah. HLG. They're, HLG, they're they're very helpful. They were um necessary. They were, they were necessary. We could not have done it without them. They were very helpful and they were great to work with. Um and uh, we are going to get to work with him again as we port in this wave mode onto Switch. Um, and yeah. But no, it was not easy. It was not on easy. game,
1: just to be clear, for the first like 18 to 19 months, I know that I was like, in my mind, had already decided this can't go on Switch. Maybe PlayStation and Xbox was like, yeah, they we're making a PC game. And without much regard for like poly count for most of it, a lot of people look at our game and go, it's low poly. It's actually not. It's extremely high poly. It has no texture or bump maps, I think, is where people sort of get that impression. And it's very vectory looking, but it's very high detail um, yeah, in well, terms of the geometry. So the poly counts, that was a big part. <laughs> that was a big issue for Switch. Can um, you trust
2: the numbers out? You no. Some poly count yes. Okay.
1: I mean, like some of the arenas were like, For a regular, for like, I don't know, like Uncharted, you have a character that maybe is like two million triangles. We had an environment that was like four million triangles. And they were like, oh, you need to cut that to like, you need to remove about 90% of those. (laughs) You need to get it down to 10% of that. So and it's like, well,
2: uh, we have weeks to do this, by the way. Yeah, there was like a month and a half or two months where you and Janice and parent basically... Demolished quite, quite literally remade every model in the entire oh, game to have a lower poly count. That is honestly not even really, it was almost every single asset had to get remade. It really was, it was almost literally every model in the entire game had to get remade. And it's like
1: some things take longer than others, like a rock maybe takes a day but an enemy which is this thing that's filled with logic and is driven by animations with bones like there's a ton of stuff there to work on that isn't just poly count but like logic um what is driving the animations like bones like having bones in your models is a real dragon performance So trying to figure out how to get rid of as many bones as we could or all of them and some of the enemies was another consideration because we have a lot of enemies on screen in our game like our game doesn't get difficulty from like one enemy being super complicated and driving like five minutes of gameplay. It's like we'll have one enemy that takes about ten seconds to uh, like demolish, but then the complication comes from the fact that there's eight thousand of them.
2: Right,
0: it works and in waves, it, right? But going back yeah, to the or- arcade model.
2: I don't know if any enemy takes like actually 10 seconds, right? It's less. Like, it's way <laughs> it's less. It's way less. Like <laughs> the squid takes like 0. 0.1 seconds. It, it, takes... it takes the time your boomerang leads your hand to hitting it and then it explodes. Like an
1: encounter <laughs> with one squid is like the, you spawn the squid, it dies. That <laughs> is what <laughs> an encounter with a squid looks like. If, if that was the way. The
0: wheels, though. <laughs> Those wheels.
1: Um, <laughs> I think it, it gets complicated. The weak points were one of the ways we wanted to complicate things because like we were committed to the idea that. If an enemy looks unadorned, doesn't have any gem on it, you hit it and it dies right away. And so we—that's the rule. That's what we're communicating to the player. So if we wanted things to get complicated, we were like, "Well, oh, this is where we steal from Devil Daggers. Like, oh, well, we'll put red gems on things and." now we're communicating you have to break these and that was our way of adding multiple <laughs> things you would have to hit on an enemy was saying okay now right. it's not just you hit anywhere on this and it dies now we've got these special locations
2: truly novel having a weak point on an enemy yeah right not not really stealing from devil daggers because like it's a video game it's actually. a video game concept of having a weak point but like we stole from Devil Daggers in much more real ways. Oh, we stole... I mean, like, the base The, the core almost, game is from...
1: I like, mean, the Game Jam version was, like, we had the Boomerang idea, and then we put it in Devil
2: Daggers. <laughs> yeah, we basically were, like, we're going to make Devil Daggers, but you can fly, and you have to kill flying enemies. And, like, now we're making an endless wave mode, and, like, we're stealing from Devil Daggers again. Well, again, like, endless wave mode is, like... Not it's like
1: super common. Yeah, Devil Daggers.
2: Yeah, I mean, Devil Daggers has been an enormous source of inspiration for me. Yeah, and I know that it was like a, the number one inspiration for the game jam, which is how we got here in the first place. Definitely for Sam. Yeah. Definitely for Sam. Um, and like, I mean, I still like, I played Devil Deggers last night. I beat my high score last night. Like. I, I yeah, Um, I love that game. I love the sounds in that game. I love the playing of that game, and I love the way that it looks. Um, I love Double Daggers. Also, Doom, Doom. I'm the only one who played it, so I'm the only one to say that Doom was a big inspiration for
1: you. For me, for the new Doom, just I don't know Doom, the gameplay of it, right. Well, I mean, even more than that, Doom kind of gave people permission to be like, actually, narrative is a waste of time sometimes. (laughs) And it was cool because that game came out and people um, were okay with that. That game came out and they were totally fine with the fact that the narrative was a total non-factor. There was like eight hours. It was like almost exhaustively violent, (laughs) that game. And also, like, there were definitely some components of the way upgrades worked and the way they're paced down that game that I was thinking about. And oh, wait, actually, this is a good story. Is one of the, you know, how in our game there's a little yellow things over bad guys' heads to yes. tell you that still is the ones you have to kill? I mean, I think, I mean, that came from me playing Doom. And remembering that I'd be at the end of a wave in the new Doom Game. And these would be like... And there'd be like one enemy left. And the reason it was the one that was left is because it was the one that I would have noticed last. It's not the thing I would have targeted first. So what you get is this really intense vibe they're going for, Well, what's left is this really unintense encounter because what's left is basically the scraps of the wave. Or it's just stuck somewhere. Or it's stuck somewhere. And so this is our way of... Populating um, an arena with lots of enemies, that would still be around even at the end of a wave. So you never ended a wave with this really sort of pitiful, like little whimper from the last like meager enemy that's remaining. You'd still have like a a tiny little swarm going on. Yeah. So, I mean, that's
2: where our enemy system came from, was you were improving on your frustration in Doom. Yes. um, Not that Doom is bad. It was very good. Please play our game, Hugo Martin. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I think I think it's safe to say, Devil Dangers and Doom were our two major video game inspirations. Yeah, which definitely means we are inspired by retro shooters, right? Like boomer so, yeah. boomer shooters, which sounds like a pun now because we have a boomerang and it's a boomer shooter. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely inspired by, by retro shooters, right? I guess Ind- indirectly, yeah. Indirectly. And I mean, Devil Daggers was, you know, inspired by, you know, all the like Quake and stuff too, right? Like, so it's like, we're inspired by like a second generation or we're like a second, maybe third or fourth generation of inspired first person shooter games, Um we have a huge non-video game inspiration for the visual style. Hmm, I knew this would come up. I'm not going to let you live it down. Um, uh, Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack. I
1: remember even in college we were like talking about, like, oh, if we go back to this, let's take inspiration from Samurai Jack, which showed up. I really. i love. never would have oh, thought it. People love Samurai Jack, but I have I never would have thought it. But the it house. makes <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what?
0: I never would have thought that, but it makes total sense. Just the visual palette of it, the colors, yeah, uh, flying around.
1: Oof. Uh, the color selection of that show is, oh, it's, I want to cry. It's so good. It's just like the best looking cartoon I've ever seen. And like, I don't know, it's got a. It's not even just the, the art. It is like the entire vibe of that show is kind of an inspi- inspiration like okay the way that I, I, I feel like the show in a way is what made me feel okay to pick environments first and work out the narrative later because you watch another episode of Samurai Jack and they'll just be like in a big oil refinery for like no reason it's just cool I'm yeah, like, yeah, it's just cool. Uh, I don't care why. It's just cool. It's aesthetics first. Aesthetics first, exactly. And speaking of aesthetics, like there were some environments in um, Boomerang X where, again, we didn't have concept art, so I was just like looking at screenshots of Samurai Jack and being like, "I want this thing. I want this thing.
2: I want yeah. this thing." We we like we literally had Janice draw like from frames in Samurai Jack as concept art.
1: Well, that never happened, because once Janus was around, we were able to be like, okay, now we don't have to just, we were like, Janus, draw something else, but imagine if the cloud, draw the cloud like you were drawing a cloud for Samurai Jack. Yeah, really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, What if it was, like, something really specific, we'd be like, okay, now, like, you're on bug people. We are like, okay, well, well, we have to invent that. We can't just do that.
2: I mean, there are parts of Samurai Jack where, like, And, like, this is not where the ideas for spiders came from. But, like, there are parts of Sam and Jack where, like, a complete wall of robot beetles are, like, coming
1: at him Mm. in a line. I think the spiders kind of fell into that. Because originally, the spiders, all the enemies were ripoffs of No-Face from um, Spirited Away in the Game Jam version. Yeah. And then the spiders, I... It's a coincidence. That one was a coincidence. Then the spiders' aesthetics kind of morphed into something that And also, the sound effects like these metal tick ticks that make them sound like the drum robots a little bit. So, yeah, there was definitely some
2: Samurai Jack grafting, I guess. I guess it just sort of drifted. That that is coincidental. The visuals of our levels are heavily pulled. That's not a coincidence. (laughs) That was not a coincidence. (laughs) That was on purpose. Yeah. It's always. I get a little
1: frustrated, frustrated when people like, oh, it's low poly. Again, like going back to the, like, it's not low poly. It's not low poly. Like, it's yeah, not, not low poly. But I think it the is. reason they say that is because of the way things are blocked out. Like a rock doesn't look like a realistic rock. It's got lots of very clearly defined straight edges and sharp perpendicular angles. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's not, I wouldn't say that that's low poly. I'd say that's just very strong vector art. And I feel like people sort of conflate low poly with very clearly um delineated edges and
2: things. It's a deliberate style. It's not that's like people. I don't want to really start this discussion, but that's not like our game is not low poly. That's not what low poly means. People see like we have like perpendicular angles and blocked out shapes. Like all of our detail comes from the geometry. It comes from the polygons that is in all the shapes. Yeah.
0: Which so, is a different uh, thing than having it all added through basically texture mapping afterwards, right? right. We had
2: to do so, anyway
1: for the Switch part. <laughs> yeah, we had to do some
2: yeah. texture maps for Switch. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing, and Sam isn't really here to talk about it, but the other really signature part of our look comes from the like the paint splotchy speckling on all of all basically every surface in the game has like it we call it speckling and it's a shader that sam made um where like there's just like nothing is like a solid color it's all like dotted and like painted and there's all these like weird patterning that kind of comes out of it um it looks like a mess it looks looks kind of like a mess it kind of looks like uh, someone has been like kind of tossing paint <laughs> kind of airbrush is what yeah. I think of what the vibe helps and one of the things that helps to give that vibe yeah. kind of the airbrush
0: but um that's great it gives it a lived-in quality too right like things have been there things have happened here
1: yeah uh, that's what I mean by mess I guess is that like that was one of the ways that it wasn't just like a purely cell shaded like um yeah Wind Waker type look, like it's got a little bit of a, of, it's a little grungy a little dirtier. It's a little bit more punk than that. Not that the game is like extremely punk looking, but it's like a
2: little grimier than that. Yeah, it's got some, it's got some mess. It, it's part of it is it with the geometry is what makes the game look like completely distinct. It's got I, I look, think of it as sort of like a kooky look.
1: A little, un, it's like a little wacky.
2: It's a little cartoony.
1: It's extremely cartoony. Yeah.
0: I was working in unity hmm. was that a mostly positive experience was that decided on pretty early out of comfort was there a decision between unreal or unity i imagine you probably didn't go we're gonna make a custom game engine
1: um there wasn't really discussion. Yeah. It was just like it's we're gonna do unity because that's what we had been working in it was a comfort thing it was just like yeah that's what we know we know unity so we're just yeah. working in unity now we're talking about well we're broaching discussions of possibly using a different game engine but
2: For now, we're still working in Unity because we're still working on the right X. Sam and I have always played the trump card whenever Ben brings up wanting, whenever they bring up wanting to move to UE4. Sam and I are like, well, we're not smart enough to read in C++, which is what the language of of UE4 is. You want
0: to stick to C sharp.
2: Yes. Yes, we do. Sam, we don't want to do our own garbage collection. No, thank you. Um... (laughs) Um, but that's not really fair to do anymore. We've been doing it for years now. Um, the, the implication here is that I am asking to switch to something that
1: isn't unity. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's true. Um, if anyone from unity is listening, I, uh, it's great, but the art pipeline is not very good. <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean, uh, it is what it is. We kind of have to you kind of can't use most of Unity's out-of-the-box <laughs> tools. You can't really use most of them. They advertise so, like this big family of tools, and I have not <laughs> used any of them. Like we use our own audio engine. We use our well, we use uh, we well we we use a well, third-party.
1: We, we use a different licensed wise. Yes. Which is probably no one who is releasing like a triple A or even an indie AAA titles, like using anything other than wise or as But No one's using the unity out
2: of the box audio tools. Well, right. right. And, but you know, we're not using unity's input system. Um, cause it, um, politely, um, does not work very well. <laughs> um, and, uh, We, I think the one that we use as although we hate doing it is the animator system, Mm. Unity Animator. Sam has, I is not going to
1: live as long, I think, because of what he's had to do in the Unity Animator toolbox. We have
2: actually taken years off
1: of Sam's life, he's not forcing, he doesn't have long left, I think, because of the pain he's having. I have just like, I work at the desk next to him, but I've heard so many groans and just sad noises coming from him,
2: yeah. (laughs) couple of table-banging. A lot of oh, table-banging. Like, are you, why would, why would it do like this?
1: Why would it do like this? <laughs> Sorry to the people no.
0: in Unity. <laughs> I mean- the Unity like, is one of those things where it's great to get into, but the further you get into it, the yeah. more you start running into those problems of like, oh yeah, this is, this is a platform that's meant to be as accessible as possible, but as accessible as possible means more specific I get the more friction I'm going to encounter.
2: Yeah, there are, um, I think twice during development, we literally had to update our project version in unity because, um, a bug we were having was there was nothing we could do about it and it was an engine problem. And so we had to update unity, um, which is frustrating. I mean, ultimately not actually as bad as it sounds. Um, especially because you know, marginal Unity upgrades are not not a lot has changed. Um, but you know, there were times when like we were getting shader errors and like vertex oh, shader. Do you remember that? Just a number of tiny little problems that I never want to have to think about again. That oh I was just God. like, why?
1: Why would this happen? Why would this? I don't understand why this would happen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> of some, some of those times where we had to update community engine in that oh, so many times it's like we had to do that like
1: at least four times probably i thought it was only three Maybe it was only three times we had to change the engine or update to the latest version yeah. which
2: was always kind of bumpy which like i mean that's part of what sucks about like like you have a two-year project and the engine you're using is going to update and so you have to use the old version of it because I don't want to just like feature creep out everyone's previous project um, but I mean, yeah. I I like Unity. I'm very comfortable in Unity. I mean, we all are comfortable in Unity because we've been using it for so long. And at some point, you develop a like a, a knowledge base of things that don't work in Unity. And so you know how to work around them. You know to avoid, yeah. You know to avoid stuff. There's um there's actually a compilation of stuff like this called the I think it's called the Uninomicon, <laughs> which is like, uh, basically a list of like cursed things that unity does that they don't tell you, but <laughs> they do. Um, and it's called the Uninomicon, um, which is, I think Sam has actually submitted. Yeah. So I Sam has submitted them. things to it. Um, and yeah, we've both read most of it.
0: Uh, well, that's yeah. amazing. it makes me think of like the scp or something or like yeah
1: Yeah. unity is haunted yeah unity is haunted
0: oh Um, man that's that's great
2: but like we do the game came out the game came came out out, and it's great unity like um i think where we were when we started the project would have had a lot of trouble somewhere else right we were just like, I mean, we have like three or four more years of experience now. Um, I think we're comfortable if we have to do it in a different engine. I think we'll figure it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense.
2: Which is where I am on it. Uh, maybe we still have to convince him. <laughs> but, uh,
0: so yeah. you're a relatively small studio, less than 10 people, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, <laughs> Advantages, disadvantages of being a small studio, do you imagine yourself staying a small studio? Uh,
1: do um,
0: Do you ever imagine expanding, do you imagine contracting, how do you, is it just project to project?
1: We actually just expanded, but we're still under 10 people, we're eight now, we were five before, and I'll say this, the benefit of when you're five people is we didn't like write almost any documentation. So, I mean, the reason we didn't have to is if we wanted to communicate something, everyone who needs to hear it is in the same room (laughs) and they're all probably going to be present for the conversation where things get conceived of because they're happening in that room also. So. And then, I don't know, there's something kind of cool about it, because a lot of things sort of happen very organically. Like, we'll have this conversation. We won't necessarily write things down. We'll go off and we'll do our thing based on it. And people will be making their own, like, sorts of decisions based on what we talked about and have their own ideas about what it was that we were talking about. And, uh, I don't know. I feel like when you write things in documentation, you work out every single detail so that the person who's like, oh, I have this design document. The person who's going to be animated the dragon, I'm going to be telling them in every detail how this dragon must be animated because of how it affects sound or how it affects design or the timing of this fireball attack. Whereas with us, we can just be like, yeah, we'll figure that all out. We're only five people. If I have a question about how long the attack is, I'll be like, hey, how long is the fireball attack? And then
2: That's how that gets communicated. (laughs) Everyone will be like three seconds, seconds, four seconds. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I appreciated about it for a while is that there were discussions being, there are discussions that were having to be done about like story and like environmental design and and a lot of stuff. And I was just like, you can kind of choose what the, like from the topic what's, is that important enough to you to go? Do you need to be at that meeting? Or, you know, does it really not matter? And a lot of our design discussions was Sam, Ben, and I on the project. Yeah. Um, We have spent so, so much time in meetings discussing things and arguing about things. And like those thousands of micro decisions I almost I would say most of them more than one person was involved because you just when you are like I don't know how this should work and then I ask someone and then we talk about it and then we're like you know you don't have to go run it by like your boss and your boss doesn't have to run it by your boss's boss. You don't have to take it all the way up the line to like the head of corporate or whatever, the head of design or anything. It's three of us. It's the five of us. Everyone who needs to be in that conversation is already there. Um, Of course it's a disadvantage because um, we only have five people. (laughs) So we can't make it, it, you know, it's slower to work on this and people are like, I can't believe your game is so short. it's like, okay, well, we are five people and it took us two years to get here. Um, You didn't
0: feel short to make it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I will. That's a, yeah, I would never say, I would probably not say that to someone. Um, but that's because I'm nice to people online. I'm trying really hard to be nice to people who play our game. Um, when, I mean, they, when they, deserve bless it. all of you. Yes, <laughs> yes. thank all of you. Money. We owe it all to you. Thank you for playing our game.
1: Um, it's okay, for you to hate some of your players or all of them.
2: <laughs> I,
0: mean, you
1: know.
2: I hate none. I hate none of our players. So <laughs> that okay, that's. I do hate some of you. <laughs> some of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you Holmes well, manages
1: the Discord, so yeah. I, I don't see. I don't really see yeah, the Discord. The so I don't see a lot character. of the really
2: terrible people. The people that I hate get banned and I've it is
0: well earned i can only imagine yeah um so why don't we sort of wrap up in what i think is the logical place which is what's coming next uh your work on uh, io interloper is ongoing is that so you're focused on if i'm understanding correctly boomerang x's wave mode and this wave mode uh, so is Interloper on hold? Is that something that's ongoing? Is that something that is coming in the future?
1: It is on hold. Pro- I mean, definitively it's gonna be for a long time because our next project's probably it's not gonna be out of interloper. Yeah. I think that left uh, scars deep enough to warrant us not wanting to go back for a quite a while possibly it may still come out what does it say before 2031 or something that might still happen that's Mm -hmm. possible well maybe we'll see maybe i don't our next thing is not going to be a shooter it's not going to be
2: another one that that is
1: conclusive conclusive, i think yeah
2: i mean i would say that io is on indefinite but permanent hold (laughs) Well, we'll see. Maybe not permanent, but indefinite.
1: No no one knows the future, but right now, the will to go back to it is not there
2: for the entire team. Yeah. I think, I mean, are we allowed to talk about what we brought new people on for and stuff? No, okay. Um, Fair enough. I have, have, it has been hinted that we are working on some non-game things What those are, we have not specified. Um,
0: Interesting.
2: So, yeah. Games are a little. We're still going to be part of them. And we will still be doing them. But um, not everyone on the team will be doing them. That is correct. That is true.
0: They said with an air of mystery befitting Boomerang X's environments.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, we're working on the endless wave mode, which. Endless Weight Mode sh- is going to be out within a month. Um, that's our goal. What's the date? Oh, it's coming. Within a month. Um, sooner than that, hopefully. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we will be porting the Endless Mode to Switch and hopefully doing some other Switch patches at the same time. And then we should be done with Boomerang X for a while. Um, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it's it is exciting, and like once it's done and we're not touching it anymore, like we'll I'll wait, wait two years, years and then I'll play it again. And be like, oh, well, yeah. this game's actually really good. <laughs> it's really fun. I mean, like I'm really proud of where the game is because um, over the course of making this game, it has turned me into someone who loves these FPS <laughs> fast actiony games, like. I really didn't play a ton of Devil Daggers until I had already, you know, been working on Boomerang X for two years. And then I went back and played Devil Dagger, and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is, this is, I love this. And like Ultra Kill is another game that I, I mean, people played our game and they compared it to all these games and I was like, why did they do that? And then I went and played them and I was like, oh, absolutely, this rocks, this rocks. Um, and I imagine I will making boomerang x will have turned me into a boomer shooter fan for life (laughs) Um, so that that won't change but i don't think i don't think we have plans or hopes to make more of boomerang x once we're actually done and closed the book on it
0: excellent well i think that's a great place to end thanks both of you for taking the time sure Um,